near-death experience podcast, an ongoing exploration of spiritually transformative experiences, including NDEs and other phenomena, in order to elucidate the ineffable and better understand our spirituality. All episodes are available at ndepodcast.org. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and guests are not necessarily those of NDE Podcast, the NDERF, any sponsors, or, for that matter, anyone else. In the end, the only opinion that really matters is yours. Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, What Near-Death Experiences May Teach Us About Life on the Other Side. Today we're going to share a listener experience, and uh, she has posted this on enderf.org, but she emailed me, and, and when she copied it, it sounds like she added... Uh, a little bit more detail uh, for this account, which I'm excited to read, because this is a just beautiful account. When when I got this email, I'm like, boom, I'm doing this one. This is fabulous. <laughs> so thank you, Leah, for sending this. This is this is really cool. Uh, first, she says that that her first near death experience um, happened when she was four years old, uh, nearly drowning without much detail, but she did come back with a knowledge of God's existence, which has led to her being a lifelong seeker of truth. However, the more recent experience that she has uh, was just a month ago. She's 53 years old now, and it was just a month ago that this happened, which is really cool. I love hearing the fresh experiences uh, just because you know, it it just demonstrates that these experiences are happening all the time. They just, we just keep getting more of them, and most people don't record them, and they don't share them online just because they don't know they can. They don't know it's available. So we're really glad that uh, that Leah found um, Enderf.org and is sharing this with us, as well as the podcast, so we can share it even sooner. So, okay, Leah says, I woke up at 5 a.m., with the moon or the full moon shining in between the slats of the blinds in my room. I got up, opened the blinds, and admired the moon. Then I went back to bed and fell asleep. While I was dreaming some ordinary dream, a few small pastel-colored balls of light floated into the scene. The dream brightened with another kind of light the orbs seemed to emit a soft white light that made everything in my dream fade into the background. I then went with these orbs without question. I found myself just above the atmosphere in space. I was completely lucid and thought, it's happening, meaning I thought I had died. I felt a sense of excitement and wonder. I didn't even think about my body or about anything or anyone that I loved on earth. There was complete detachment or no remembrance of my earthly life during my experience. 
which after I came back I thought was odd, but not distressing. I don't think it meant my life or the people I love here aren't important to me. It was more about being in the present moment in order to limit distraction. It was a completely natural feeling to be so present without any sense of concern or burden. Right after I had the thought that I had died, I looked to the right and saw many white wisps floating up into space from the earth at different intervals, and I knew they were souls of people who had just died too. Then I had this incredible desire to be with Jesus. The intensity of that feeling surprised me because even though on earth I had been drawn to Jesus and loved him, the desire to see him while in spirit was all-consuming. I shot upward with amazing speed, but then I wanted to see the earth below, so I slowed until I just hovered there looking at all the stars around me in awe. I also had this sense that there wasn't time to gaze at the earth. But that thought seemed to come from outside of myself, from other beings, even though I didn't see them. I thought about the earth again, and just like that, I was floated above a building but didn't know where. When I thought about touching it, an opaque form of my hand appeared, and when I touched the wall, my hand felt its density but went right through it. It was so strange. So with greater speed, I flew through the wall and didn't feel a thing. I realized I was in a nursing home. I moved along the ceiling through the walls until I came to a room with two very old women with dementia in their beds, awake and in some kind of mental distress. I noticed a soft green glow coming from me as I moved closer to them. The first woman looked up and started smiling with joy in my direction, and I realized she could see me. The light from me touched her, and she kind of babbled at me, but she was so happy. The other woman next to her reacted in the same way, and when I thought about touching her cheek with my hand in a healing way, again my hand appeared with a green glow, and I felt her face. She cupped her hand over mine, and it just merged into mine because my hand wasn't solid. And by her joyful reaction, she seemed to feel it too. I am a nurse on this earthly plane, and I've cared for many people with memory problems, so to help in spirit felt so natural to me, but in a different way. It was just more immediately satisfying and joyful because the heaviness of my human body and mind was non-existent. All that flowed from me was love and I received their love in return. I went up through the ceiling into the night sky, and then I thought about the ocean. As a human, I just loved the ocean. I looked down, and the waves were breaking on a somewhat frozen shore. I thought about just diving in it, but it looked cold, so I just skimmed the water with my hand, and it wasn't freezing, just cool. 
I remember thinking it was odd that I was concerned about the temperature of the water. It was such a human thought. Whereas, when I had been flying around in space, I had no such thoughts. It was as natural as breathing. Then, Jesus came to my mind again, or came to mind again, and I shot up into space among the stars again until I would reach a certain distance where I would stop, then drift back down near the earth. I felt like this happened a few times, not because something or someone stopped me, but because I was just so fascinated by all the wonders around. I felt like a kid at Disneyland for the first time, multiplied by a thousand. If you're thinking, why don't I just describe what I saw? It's just not possible with any detail. Awe is indescribable. Again, I thought intensely about Jesus, but I could only get so far in space before I stopped. But this time, I felt like a force stopped me from going further and from even calling out his name. Perhaps if I had been allowed, I would have been able to return. I remember hovering in space, feeling disappointment, and I said to myself, Where is Jesus? Just when I wondered why I couldn't see him, I saw a light across the darkness in space that was different than the light of the stars. I personally knew this light. I did not go to the light. The light came closer to me and expanded. It undulated like a white glow ember enfolding in a nebula with its pink and billowing dark smoky grays. The light stopped before it engulfed me, and for a few moments I connected with the essence of the light, which was complete love. And in those moments, we were one. This was not the Jesus I expected to see, but I didn't question it. I simply accepted. Love is just a word we use for the experience that love is. The light didn't speak because there are no words that exist to label or describe its being. When it, the light dissipated, I heard a singular male voice start singing the first few lines of a song, a cappella. The melody and words were familiar. Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. The song goes on, but those were the only words I heard. The verse from Isaiah 6-9 is talking about Jesus, the Prince of Peace. As that voice faded, I felt like I floated like a feather back into my body, and my eyes opened. The sun had just come up. Then I realized I was alive. All throughout this very religious experience that didn't seem religious at all while I was in it, I didn't know I would be coming back to my body. The thing is, however spiritually amazing that experience was, I wasn't upset to be back on earth. I was just calm and in awe. I accept that who I am spiritually has only been partially revealed to me. I don't think as a human. I can't truly understand the sheer glory and magnitude of the soul 
and God. I know what I need to know, and the rest is faith. I trust the divine purpose in faith. And that is the end of Leah's experience. Isn't that beautiful? Incredible. Just absolutely. It's breathtaking. It's just beautiful. Let's let's go comb through it a little bit and talk about some of the things. This is another example of an experience that didn't surround death at all. In fact, the only thing it seemed to follow was a dream, which is not as uncommon as you would think. You would uh, many people are are a little bit um, uh, dismissive of experiences that don't surround immediate death. You know where the heart stops, the breathing stops. And while those are certainly nice little confirmations or nice little uh, uh, stamps of validation of sorts uh, that this had to be a near-death experience, my studies of these experiences uh, demonstrate that that is not at all necessary. It doesn't have to surround death. Sometimes it'll happen just during sleep at night. Sometimes it will happen surrounding a frightening experience where there's a scare. Uh, Sometimes it can just happen, you know, sometimes during mental distress. um, And other times, like I said, it, it just happens out of the blue. And it's not to say that everybody's likely to experience this. Everybody is not likely to experience this. However, It is very likely that out of a thousand people, at least one will have such an experience. And it doesn't necessarily surround a dying type of experience at all. Okay, I'm going to pause for just a second and apologize for the sound quality that you've been experiencing up to this point. And, you know, I had a little coughing fit, and so I went to edit it and check the audio, you know, went back a bit, and I was like, this audio quality doesn't sound correct. And apparently it's been my computer itself that's been recording for this whole time up till now and not my nicer microphone. So I apologize for that first bit. But uh, it's all there and I think I think it's, you know, I, I prefer the higher quality certainly, but I don't think it's worth redoing the entire episode for. Um, But I will say, you know, I will apologize because this is a really cool experience and it would be nice to have it in the better audio form, but, you know, we'll just go on. So, okay, so we talked about how it was a dream dream near-death experience or a dream-incited near-death experience. Although I will say, uh, Leah mentions in the beginning that her first near-death experience was when she was four years old um, in a near-drowning experience. And uh, so, if I am understanding the after-effects of near-death experiences properly, that puts her in line to more easily have a near-death experience. Somebody who has had a near-death experience, however simple, earlier in life, I am even more inclined to recognize the likely validity of any kind of experience they have beyond that because that just seems to be the pattern. When you have one near-death experience, you're much more likely to have another, and you're also likely to have spiritual experiences throughout your life, Um, sometimes uh, very interesting uh, and unique type of experiences. Anyway, she does say that she's been a, a lifelong seeker 
truth. And I think that's another common thing for those who have had near-death experiences. I kind of wish she had shared something a little bit more about her experience when she was four years old, but it sounds like um, she doesn't have much detail to that, or it, and it probably wasn't a big, certainly not as, as profound as this experience was. Okay, let's continue uh, combing through this a bit. Um, she talks about how she feels this detachment from her body, her earthly experiences, family, everything. Not so much that that they were not important to her, but rather that she was so wrapped up in the experience that it was just like, you know, I mean, when you're going through a roller, going loops through a roller coaster, how much are you thinking about your family and bills and, and earthly other things going on? I mean, you can, it's possible to, but most of the time it just doesn't occur to you to because the experience is so overwhelming that you are completely caught up in it. Now, she is obviously not feeling the loop-the-loop, loop you know, rushy uh, roller coaster experience, but she is feeling this incredible sense of love and incredible sense of longing to be with Jesus and just this you know, intensely satisfying experience. So I think that's profound. Okay, she also talks about her desire to be with Jesus. And every time she thinks, like, ooh, I really want to be with Jesus, she ends up shooting off into space, which is interesting because that is, seems to be common among those who end up going through a tunnel or not. Um, they rush into, they, you know, shoot out into space and either end up in a tunnel with a light at the end or no tunnel. And there's just a light approaching in the distance of space, one or the other. And um, as she's experiencing this, the first time she gets distracted and thinks about going back. And we'll talk about her going back in, in a moment because that's also very interesting. But then she says several times she remembers rushing out towards space and then it's as if she's stopped or distracted or something, which is an interesting barrier experience. Remember how most people who have near-death experiences, because remember, they're just near-death experiences. They don't end up finally dying because they come back to tell us the story. Um, I don't know what this is like for those who die finally, but my guess based on all of these experience and i think it's a a very uh likely guess is that they just go beyond that barrier it's not a problem for them but uh in this case as in most other near-death experiences they're not able to get past that barrier for her it seems like some kind of uh, mental barrier, distractive barrier, maybe even a physical barrier in terms of, of her inability to go further, something like that. However, even though she's not able to cross this barrier, the light comes to her and she, uh, and she finds herself basically from, if I'm understanding this right, merging with the light and having this incredible, just overwhelming, loving experience. And she kind of describes saying, this is not the Jesus I was expecting, but hey, I'll take it. Kind of is, is she's like, I'm good with this. This is great. Not a problem. 
And to some, some people might have the question of, well, was that Jesus or was that God? Was that light independent of of uh, Jesus and God? And I think those are all semantic questions, really. Um, it's it's all God, you know, whether you're experiencing Jesus or God or the Holy Ghost or just this all-encompassing universal love that we all share. Whatever that thing is, the experience is profoundly glorious and joyful. You know, um, we can argue, you know, doctrinal semantics of, of what exactly everything is, and I don't think there's a point to that. Uh, we could certainly study it. I, I love, you know, dancing around with these questions and saying, oh, is that, you know, this, or was that that, or... You know, could that mean this? And and that's great. But if you're tempted by these things to to be concerned because of your own beliefs, I wouldn't even worry about that. I know that sounds weird, especially if your beliefs, like mine, are so sacred and special to you. I, I, you don't have to worry about it because the loving, joyful experience that is this light experience or meeting with God or meeting with Jesus, whatever, is so all-encompassingly loving and beautiful that all those little uh, details of who's what and what is who is really not all that important in terms of, of what we're going to experience. So don't even worry about that. And I love that she describes it in the detail, this light, the detail. Let me read this description again, because it's beautiful. She says, uh, the light came closer, to me, came closer to me and expanded. It undulated like a white glowing ember, enfolding in a nebula with its pink and billowing dark smoky grays. Isn't that beautiful? I'm just, I'm just, enraptured in that image. I'm, you know, I'm somebody who gets totally taken by a sunset if there's oranges and pinks and clouds and things. And I, I'm just like, whoa. And, and I'll just, I love to just stare in a spot and just let it encompass me for a few minutes. It's just so cool. And this description gives me that sense of being enraptured in this just I don't know, the beauty of it, the beauty of it, the feeling of it. Love it, love it, love it. And then she says again, the light stopped before it engulfed me. And then she talks about being enwrapped in it. And then in this, and, and again, I, t I said we'd go back to her earthly experience in the uh, rest home, and we will. But let's talk about this, uh, um, the rest of this first. Um, she talks about the light not speaking in words, but that it was clearly communicating um, its, its fullness, if you will. In fact, when she says there are no words to, that exist to label or describe its being, she puts be-ing uh, to illustrate that its, its state of existence, be, to be, is, is all there is, is everything. Um, very interesting. 
And then she says when the light dissipated, she hears a singular male voice starting with the first few lines of a song a cappella. I love this. He sings to her and sings the, you know, and I could be wrong about the melody, but I'm picturing Handel's um, uh, Messiah, where it's like, Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and so forth. I don't know if that's the tune that she's hearing, but uh, how cool to have God, in whatever form he is, singing that song to her. Beautiful, beautiful, or whatever song it was. That, that, those words. And those are found in Isaiah 6-9, she says. Okay, and next thing she knows, she's floating back into her body. And, and just laying there in awe. Not even disappointed to be back, it sounds like. But just like, wow. Wow. Kind of thing. Okay, now I put off the coming back um, because I want to talk a little bit more about this. This is really interesting. First off, for the little minute details that it gives us about the spiritual body, but also because of some of the implications it might have for us now, which is, there's just so many interesting things about this. So in one of these times when she's going, you know, rushing out to space toward Jesus, um, she's distracted again by the thoughts of earth, and she finds herself immediately floating above a building, but didn't know where, which is interesting. It's not a, I mean, it, it probably is a specific building because there are specific people in it, but she doesn't know what building it is. She doesn't know where this is. It could be in New York. It could be in San, San Francisco. It could be in England. You know, she just doesn't, she doesn't know where. And um, she says that as she thought about touching the wall of the building, as she thinks about it, an opaque form of her hand appeared. Okay, first off that. Okay. Can we gather from this that previously she is not seeing her body? So maybe she's in that um, intelligent consciousness form. Or perhaps she is in a transparent version of her body, which would be the spirit form. I don't know which, but as she thinks about touching the building, she says an opaque form of her hand appeared. And when she touches the wall... Her hand feels its density, but goes right through it. And if that doesn't sound strange, she acknowledges that. She says, it was so strange. <laughs> okay, so I'm kind of picturing that as she reaches out for it, her hand appears in front of her where it would be if she was doing it. So her, it's, it's as if her, her intentions are bringing her body into this somewhat physical form and it's just physical enough to be able to feel the density of the building but still passing right through it so i wonder if it's kind of a feeling where as she's touching it it's passing through but as if through some kind of i don't know would you call it a you know thick butter kind of pressing into butter or would it feel more like some kind of electrical density of some sort. I, I don't know. My guess is somewhere in between. Uh, and But she can feel its density. And um, so with greater speed, she flies in through the wall and didn't feel a thing. 
So this time she's not feeling the density. She just passes through it because that's her intention. See, there's something about this intention with spirits as to what the experience will be, which is good to keep in mind when you're hearing different experiences and you're like, wait a minute, these people felt the tree, this other person passed right through the tree, that's a contradiction, therefore can't both be true. Not so, not so. It very much seems to have to do with mental uh, intention. And, and sometimes that goes backwards because some people will try to touch something and it will pass right through and therefore they, uh, they have this, you know, sense of kind of the reverse. It's like they're not in control instead of being in control. But there is something to do with intentions about all of this. Either way, she passes through. So um, it's not like she's, you know, able to, you know, hit the wall, slap the wall, so to speak. But uh, she passes through the wall without any resistance. Um, and she's in a nursing home. Now, she is a nurse. Leah is a nurse normally in life. And so her natural inclination is to heal. And um, she goes to this room where there's two older women with dementia, which I think is significant. Okay. And she goes to their beds. And they're in some kind of mental distress. Now, dementia is very well known for leading to strange episodes of what seem like mental breakdowns. People will talk about people who aren't there. They will um, talk about loved ones who died years ago or, or perhaps are even there even though they're not there. You know, it's somebody who is living in a different state and therefore couldn't have come visited and they talk about them coming to visit. And we just chalk it up to, well, you know, they probably saw a nurse and thought that it was that person and, you know, they're just confused. And there's no question that dementia leads to confusion. There's no question about that. But what I think is often overlooked is that in that confusion there is also a parting of the veil. So commonly, a parting of the veil such that they're often seeing and hearing spiritual things that the rest of us cannot experience. It is simply not fair to tell a person with dementia that the person that they think they're seeing is not there or that they are not seeing. It would be much wiser and much more educational for us to ask details. Tell me about them. I can't see them, but you're right. They are there. I know they're there because you can see them. Tell me about them. Or maybe even saying, yes, they are there. Tell me what you think of them. Tell me what they're doing, and so forth. And they may be like, well, can't you see them? You know? <laughs> In which time you may have to say, no, I can't, but they're there. So tell me about them, <laughs> you know. And in that state of mild confusion, they may be more likely accepting of the unknown of the situation, and depending on their personality, they may be okay with sharing that with you. I don't know exactly how that'll go. I have not done it, um, but I am eager to. I have had family members who have, who have had dementia and have been very confused about things, mostly when I was much younger and before I knew about any of this stuff, and so you know, I'm just, I just kind of accepted, okay, that's, that's nice, that's nice, you know. Now I wish I had asked more questions and been more, more engaging with them, 
about the things that they're experiencing. Anyway, um, so she, she is at the side of these two women who seem to be in mental distress, and they seem to see her. Now, because they have dementia, I suspect that these were real mortal women with dementia, struggling with all that dementia brings on and whatever other physical and mental maladies they may have had at the same time, I suspect they did see an angel appear. Now, it's very interesting to me what takes place next. It is a very, let's flip roles for a minute and be in the in the shoes of these two older women. They are in mental distress. They are experiencing all the ails of their condition and they see a spirit walk into the room. An angel walks into the room with a healing glow about her. Now whether they're seeing the green or whether they're seeing some other color or what, I don't know, but Leah describes her glow as being a soft green glow coming from her as she moves closer to them. And I would, I would say that these women are probably seeing that. And whatever this glow is, it's a healing glow. She says, the first woman looked up at me and started smiling with joy in my direction. And I realized she could see me. Now, this tells me two things, okay? As Leah is recognizing that this woman can see her, she is, I don't know if, she could be surprised, she might be taken aback, but she is interested in the fact, which suggests that perhaps sometimes when people see angels around them, the angels may be surprised. This is so interesting to me. Because these women see an angel enter their room, place her hand, this angel places her hand on the one's cheek. She reaches up and touches her hand as well, which passes through, but it has that healing experience. And she says, when I thought about touching her cheek with my hand uh, in a healing way, again, my hand appeared with a green glow, and I felt her face. She cupped her hand over mine, and it just merged into my hand because my hand wasn't solid. And by her joyful reaction, she seemed to feel it too. So this angel who we're hearing, this is so cool. How often do we get accounts of an first-hand accounts from an angel who is visiting somebody and healing them? or at least providing some kind of healing energy to them. How often do we get to hear from the angel? Now, Leah is probably thinking, I'm no angel, I'm just a human. But no, that's not what I'm seeing here. In your spirit form, Leah, you are an angel and a healing one at that. I suspect that all of us are. Now, you have a particular interest in this field because you're a nurse. And that, of course is going to make you think in this healing way automatically. But this is what's so cool about this. This is what's so cool about it, is that we are all 
some kind of healing angels. Some of us may be angels of creation, angels of, of creativity, angels of love, angels of guidance, angels of protection. I mean, every different kind. Think of what you're interested in this life. And perhaps, perhaps, like Leah, that is because you have that spirit about you as a spirit. Now, this opens up so many interesting um, avenues of thought and curiosity. Leah is probably not thinking of herself as, as an angel from God, sent from God to heal these women or provide healing energy. But that is exactly what she is and what she's doing. From the, from the, the perspective of these two older women, they are in suffering. They're suffering. And they're in this care center of sorts. And they see an angel appear, a spirit appear with glowing energy around her. Reach out and touch them and, and give some kind of healing energy to them. And then probably shortly after, she disappears from their view. Now, doesn't this give such an interesting and beautiful perspective on the on angels among us, right? From our perspective as near-death experience researchers and, and learners, we are familiar with the idea of spirits being among us and around us. And we are probably also familiar with this idea of angels being among us. But why can't we put them together like this experience does and see that the very spirits that are here healing and guiding and so forth are the very spirits who come and live a life on this earth and then leave. And in this case, this is somebody who is taking a break from her mortal life. While she is sleeping in her bed, she is an angel to someone in a care center. Two people. These two women. And what a beautiful thing that is. I mean, that's so cool. An angel sent from God by means of a woman sleeping. That is just, <laughs> that is so cool to me. I love it. I love it. So once again, thank you, Leah, for uh, sharing your experience with us. This is, this is one of those ones I'm adding to my to my list of, of experiences that have more information, more detail, more to uh, just expand my view of the spirit world, the afterlife, how we are as spirits and so forth. So thank you so much for sharing this. And to the rest of you, if you would like to support the podcast, you can do so by either purchasing my book, Life in the Spirit World, or by going to patreon.com slash ndecast and becoming an ongoing monthly contributor. Um, and if you can't do that, don't feel obligated. That helps a great deal, but it is not the reason for which we do this work. We do it to try to touch lives, to, to add our own little, little effort to the world of doing good. And any good that is done by this podcast is worth its own effort. So 
just thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. And thank you for participating in any way that you can. Another thing you can do to help is to go to iTunes or Stitcher or wherever it is that you listen to podcasts and go and give a five-star review. And even preferably, um, if, you know, if you've got time to do more than just click the five-star, write something about it. Just share your thoughts. Um, we only check those occasionally and so forth. But what it does is it tells iTunes or Stitcher or whatever that you're listening and you're engaging. It's more than just a passive thing when you write a review. It's something you're going out of your way to do to interact with the podcast. And what iTunes or Stitcher or whatever does is they take that as information that people are listening and therefore um, engaging and we want to put their podcast higher up on the ranks. So, you know, we are to the point where if you search for near-death experiences in uh, a podcast uh, search engine, it will bring us up right at the top, which is wonderful. I would love to see it coming up at the top when people type spirituality. Honestly, I haven't tried, so I don't know if it does or not, but and and that's not to say we want to be the best of the best or whatever. You know, it, this is not a competition, but it's a matter of getting this information into the world because I think that more than almost any other subject, near-death experiences acts as such a uniting uh, thing, uh, idea, because people are coming from all different backgrounds, coming with these shared, similar types of experiences, sometimes different interpretations of them, sometimes different uh, attitudes about them, but the experiences are so similar that it brings all different religions, all different types of spirituality together in this, in this beautiful shared experience that we're beginning to recognize. And I think it's bringing light into the world. And it's instead of emphasizing how different we are, it brings us together and shows how incredibly alike we are and how love is ultimately what we are. It is the very composition of our souls. Love is what we are. And it's also what we are bound to experience because that is the very nature of our existence. And with that, thank you so much again, all of you, for listening.